You may not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm not afraid to speak out. I think that the music in hell for eternally be some of this rock music with all its vulgarities. And Welcome back to another episode of Lost in the Catacombs. I'm your host, Josh, back with you yet again for episode number 17 of your favorite extreme music podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in last week and the positive reception to the double stacked episode featuring Agriculture and Johnny the Boy. I loved the response, so we're doing it yet again this week. We have Two bands, two great bands, kind of at different points in their career. One has achieved legendary status in the death metal genre, and the other band is an up-and-coming group ready to set out and do great things within the scene, but we will introduce them a little bit later. First, and as always, I'd like to get some housekeeping done and out of the way at the top of the show want to remind everyone to follow me on their social media channels on Twitter at Catacombs Media on Instagram at Lost Catacombs Media. You can do a simple search on Facebook for Lost in the Catacombs and give us a like there. And if you have any questions, feel free to shoot them my way at Lost in the Catacombs podcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Substack at Lost in the Catacombs.substack.com. And there you can find various Q&As with extreme metal bands from all over the world. So some pretty cool stuff on there you can check out. And I want to remind everyone of the simplest way they can support this show. And it's by following or subscribing to the podcast wherever you listen and leaving a five-star review if you dig the show. That helps me out tremendously. And again, totally free. So... Yeah, just an easy way to support the show. But before we move any further, let's go ahead and jump into some news. First off, Glore has announced a new North American tour, kicking off on October 11th in Hampton Beach, New Hampshire, and concluding on October 30th in Orlando, Florida. They'll be joined by Negative Approach, X-Cops, and Cancer Christ. So a very stacked lineup. Tickets do go on sale to the general public on August 18th, so the day this podcast drops. So whenever you're listening, the tickets are already on sale. Again, always recommend going to a Guar show. And perhaps my favorite news of the week, Wolves in the Throne Room, will be releasing a new EP September 29th entitled Crypt of Ancestral Knowledge. Wolves in the Throne Room also released a new single off the EP entitled Twin Mouth Spring, which is available on all streaming services right now. You can also pre-order that record on relapse.com. If you're unfamiliar with Wolves in the Throne Room, which if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you are familiar with them. They are a black metal band and probably one of the honestly best black metal bands to come out of the United States. So a very dark, folky black metal band with some atmospheric elements as well. So yeah, they do a great job of really 
dragging you into their music. So if you haven't listened to Wolves in the Throne Room, what are you doing? Jump on that right now. And last but not least, some other fun news. The Legendary Ministry will be releasing their 16th studio album, Hopium for the Masses, slated for a release on March 1st, 2024 via Nuclear Blast Records. So cool that we are yet again getting a ministry album here into the 2020s. 2024 is slated to be, from the rumors I've heard, a monstrous year for extreme and heavy metal. So cannot wait for that. Always look forward to hearing some new ministry tunes. All right, now that we have some news out of the way, let's go ahead and introduce the first guest on today's show. First up, we will be joined by John and Chuck from the legendary death metal band Incantation. Incantation was instrumental in creating and developing the death metal scene, especially here in the United States, but all over the world. So if you're unfamiliar with Incantation, you have a lot to catch up on. They are now on their 13th studio album which we will discuss. That album is entitled Unholy Deification. So let's go ahead and play a clip from the record, and then we will jump right into the interview. This song is called Invocation. that we could do one really when we first started i never thought anybody would even want to do anything with us so to do 13 of records is uh, pretty impressive and the fact that none of the albums are wimpy or lame as fuck is also pretty cool too do 13 metal albums instead of um yeah 13 albums and like most of them are lame or something now, Chuck, what was it like when you first stepped into the band? I guess at this point, 14, 15 years ago? Exactly that. Um, it was, uh, I was playing with, uh, of course, you know, John, uh, Alex Books, uh, Jim Rowe, and Craig Pillard. And we were doing uh, essentially like Golgotha and Mortal Throne material at the time. Uh, we did a number of shows in the States and then uh, carried over to um, uh, Canada uh, with Funerous for almost a month, I think, at that time. Um, and uh, I think uh, the, the general uh, 
the general conception at the time was like, this will be our last hurrah. And then, you know, call it a day. But then, um, as, uh, we started, uh, Working together, uh, there was a time uh, actually during a sound check when we went to uh, Spain with the um, uh, the guys from Divine Eve, and John said he had a riff, and uh, we ended up uh, collaborating on stage during sound check, and that became the first song uh, to record, and uh, we ended up putting it on the After Party Massacre soundtrack, and the rest is history. Yeah, it kind of just took like a spark. Death metal is huge right now, everywhere. Just death metal is popping off. But when you guys look back on those early years of death metal in particular, what do you look back at most fondly? And where do you think things really kind of have evolved for the better over the years? Well, I mean, it's not it's not comparable because everything was different back then. Like the music industries have been turned on its head now for the last, you know, what, over 20 years now. So we got into it, you know, there was fanzines and tape trading were like the way to hear about like underground bands and stuff and, you know, having to make trips to record stores and stuff. So I think because of the just the environment back then, it spawned more bands to follow their own uh, track because you didn't, not everybody was, getting force fed all the same influences, all the same ideas. People didn't have 24 hour access to every single band. So there was different aspects that influenced different people, which ended up creating bands that had their own original sound. I mean, of course there's bands heavily influenced, but there's a lot of smaller bands that might've been influences. Like for us, there's a lot of band like underground bands that never really did too much, but were influential in creating the DNA of what incantation is. Now it's a little different, but it's, it's, it's great. It's first of all, it's great that there's a lot of death metal bands coming out now, new generation doing stuff. And it's even better that there's a lot of bands that are adding their own flavor to the sound because, you know, it's really easy to just mimic stuff that came before you but it's way more interesting even if i don't necessarily like it it's more interesting for the scene in general to have bands that are you know indulging in their own personal journey not just a you know cover band uh, or they're you know almost, like certain bands you could hear like this is this this band's part and that band's part or whatever and you don't you don't want the influences to override the uh, personality of the songwriters and the band itself. So I think, but I think it's great. I mean, um, in fact, I just seen uh Sangwa sugar bog last night, they played in Durham and, um, you know, they've definitely, they definitely do things their own way. I mean, they take the influences from bands. Like I think I would say mortician and other real simple style, um, death and grind kind of bands and mix it in a way that it doesn't. Yeah. I could tell there's a mortician influence, but it sounds nothing like mortician at all, you know? And, and that's good because well, mortician exists. We don't need a mortician cover band, but it's, it's, for them, it's good because they're creating their own thing. Uh, I mean, you know, they didn't you know, like, they have a, uh, 
a popcorn sounding snare drum that like somehow works for them. It didn't work on St. Anger, but I think it's just, it's important. It's important for bands, regardless if, if I like it or don't like it, it's important for them to, you know, add something as long as it's not like forced adding. And it's like that just their personal, um, you know, influence. I mean, it would have been easy for us to start the band and say, well, we really love Possess, so let's just play Possess songs and make our own versions of it. I mean, Possess was broken up by the time that we started, so it was like we could have just said, well, we'll just take over. But, you know, I mean, we would never – I wouldn't ever be able to match that level of amazing – you know, how awesome Possessed is, but that's not the point. The point is that the goal, goal for us wasn't to uh, be Possessed. It was, okay, we're influenced by them, and we – I want to make an impact on the scene like they did, but I don't, um, you know, don't want to be them. I want to be us. You know, that's what's important. And that's what I think for a band like us kept our longevity is that we've always been us. There's been like the, the bands in the scene and then us just trucking away at what we're doing and kind of telling everybody, giving everybody the bird if they don't like it, you know? Yeah, that's the way to go, man. Yeah, that's definitely. I think that's why Incantation has such a, a cult following. And you know, uh, Chuck and I were talking right before the podcast started, and he was like, "Yeah, I wasn't expecting like all this, like you know, numerous interview requests and whatnot." And I was like, "Man, people just get stoked and excited for new Incanta- Incantation records." So, yeah. Well, one thing that I, I have to say that I'm very flattered at is that um, it seems like every time you've been putting out an album, especially in the last, you know, what six, seven years, there's been a lot of enthusiasm about it and people really enjoy the new material. It's not just, um, you know, living off the legacy of the band, which is nice. I mean, of course we respect the legacy and we always include some older songs in the set. I would, would, wouldn't be right not to, but it's nice to know that people really want to hear um, the new material. I mean, even just on this past run, we've had numerous people come up to us and ask us, you know, you know, if we could, you know, play more stuff off the new album they wanted to hear at our live shows, which is really flattering for a band with this kind of longevity and stuff. Cause there's not a lot of death metal bands that put out new material that are from our era. That is like really that relevant. I mean, you know, I would say like Immolations one where they put on a new album and people right. really take on to the new stuff. And But there's a really only a handful and we're lucky to be in that group. It's I don't know if it's because some bands made such amazing early albums that no matter what they do, it's never going to match up or just that they're, they don't have gas in the tank. It's hard for me to say, but I just know that, um, you know, I'm fortunate, I'm fortunate that we're not like that, but we know that we're not like that as a band because, you know, as Chuck will say, I mean, you know, we're all a part of this. We're all having a good time doing it. We're doing it for more than just the reason of it's time to do an album and let's just do an album so we can have a tour cycle or whatever. We're doing it because we love doing it and we would be writing music and doing albums, even if we weren't getting this kind of um, popularity or this kind of interest or whatever, because it's part of what we like doing is creating music. It's not, it's not just a, um, you know, it's not about, well, we write a couple of songs, we'll get paid. You know, it's, I mean, that's yeah. never happened, so it doesn't matter. But the fact is, is that the incentive is doing it. It's almost like, you know, you're climbing a mountain because it's there, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Chuck, I do have a question for you. 
and I think this would be interesting, and you've probably answered this before, but when did Incantation first pop up on your radar? So it was uh, groups of friends of mine in uh, high school. Uh, we heard that uh, Golgotha was coming out, and uh, you know we're all broke. We're kids, you know what I mean. So um, got, got Golgotha, and we listened to it on the front porch of uh, a buddy's house on his battery powered radio, and uh, our brains just went. Uh, the first song I would say was probably on Holy Massacre though. Um, and either it was a copy tape or I don't believe it was part of that death is just the beginning because I think that was a mortal cessation, but it was some kind of comp perhaps. Um, and it's, it's, it's one of those songs. Uh, but I definitely heard, uh, Unholy Massacre first and that one actually still sticks with me to this day. It's like my favorite tune by, you know, by the band. Um, yeah, that was my first experience with it. Yeah, never heard anything like it. Well, nobody had, you know. When you actually joined the band, did you kind of feel, did it feel surreal? Yeah, of course it does. Yeah, I mean, I met John in 98 when I was playing with my old band at the time. And it was a very, very brief interaction. But, you know, I had been friends, well, we've been mutual friends with Alex Books forever. And um, Alex had presented me with the fact of like that they did like, a, I think it was the show in Columbia. And then right after the fact, it was like, well, why don't you just come in and do a couple songs? We'll, you know, go up to Jim's house and learn them or whatever. And he asked me to learn two. Well, I learned four. And, uh, yeah, we jammed it in the basement. Uh, you know, it was, uh, well, surreal. You know, like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, like, have you ever been on the road before? Or, like, have you ever done this before? And, you know, and, you know, is that really true? You know, how are you going to fare out there? You know, so... It was uh, it was a joy because uh, I still remember that as a kid. You know, it's that fan turn member attitude. I don't think that'll ever leave. And now, Chuck, you have such a your intricate part of the band, especially you know with the rhythm section, and then you also have this contribution to the lyrics. So with this record in particular, there's a few things I know. Like when I got the press material, you said you wanted to touch on you know with the concept of capturing evolution through enlightenment. You know, how did this concept develop and how does that intertwine with the, you know, the intense musical landscape that incantation creates? I love individual uh, stories, beginning, middle, ends. And I had done a concept when we did Dirges of Elysium. And that was like a massive, you know, um, like epic in its own, you know, state, which I thought originally was going to be separate songs but then ended up becoming this <laughs> magnum opus of a tune <laughs> um, that was all kind of like, yeah, yeah, well, not that one, that, uh, but I mean like Elysium, the song itself. Cause originally I was like, well, you know, you know, like do like six songs or something like that. Instead, we just kind of squished all six together and turned into like a 13, 14 minute tune unexpected, but not, you know, not upsetting in any way, shape or form, but it was more or less like, okay, well, how do I carry over that new, you know, big epic -y story and how do you, uh, encompass that within like 10 chapters? So it's a, you know, journey in a sense of a mortal becoming a God and it's every attribute of ritual magic, whether it be like elemental forms or magic circles and sigils and, you know, um, 
uh, what is it? Uh, the very first song we made the single for was Concordat, uh, the pact. And the Roman numeral one is because it is the very first song of that story. And it's this individual who no longer wants to subsist on belief and ethics and, you know, religious, uh, you know, uh, point of view. He wants to become that God, the thing that is worshiped, revered, sacrificed to, you know, that it is going to become, between him and this spectral entity, they essentially like bleed a DNA. And that single DNA strand is what ends up becoming a development into what the creature you see on the cover. Uh, it, it is the embodiment of everything that is anti-ethical. It is evil itself. And you have to go through it. And it is working outside of a linear time base, which means that it's always been there. It just took that one particular person to embody it. That's sick. But anyway, uh, John, you, I, yeah, go ahead. That's why I did the lyrics. <laughs> John, I noticed you said that you have no interest in playing it safe. And after, you know, three decades plus you, like you said earlier, you could just put out the same incantation records. You could just, you know, use the same riffs. You could use the same ideas, but you're not interested in playing it safe. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you nowadays? Well, it's always it's always been a part of who incantation is. I mean, we we started off with a really um, underground, almost like a punk rock attitude, where it was just like everybody could piss off. We're going to do it our way, and that's that's it. And it's they're either going to like it or not like it, but it's going to be ours. And that's still the way I look at everything. It's just like you know, all we could do is do the album that you know means something when we're writing it when we're all together in the practice place working on the album it's going to be something that's honest to us it might not be what is cool and trendy it might not have some of the aspects that's you know some of the better selling bands are going to have to but it's going to be our thing it's going to be our way and you know it's just about it's like the whole thing about being metal is to be a rebel and to be a nonconformist. And, you know, we want our music to be our music. It's like, even if, even if people don't like it that much, it's like, I want them to still be able to listen to it and know that it was us. And, you know, things were sincerely put in there, you know, it wasn't like, you know, it's, it's, it's just not a plastic thing. It's a real, um, it's a real honest uh, release and I, I mean, we do that with all our releases, you know, it just, it has to be honest, it has to be something that, you know, we stand behind musically and that we think is going to be, um, you know, represent the band the best way possible. But it's, um, you know, to listen to anybody else's um, opinion on what we should be or whatever, or trying to play it safe, like I said, by maybe doing some of the fan favorite stuff from the past and rehashing it or whatever is just not an interest. Not like we don't want to have a nod back to our, our beginnings or anything. It's just not, it's not want, we don't want to ride say the coattails of our past. We want to respect our past and include our past in it, but we also want the new stuff to be, um, its own thing. It's relevant and to be an expression of all the people that are involved in it. It's like, you know, the lineup is amazing now and we've had other great lineups in the past, but those great lineups in the past are great lineups we had in the past. And those 
we're never the new lineup is not going to be the old lineup. It's not. It's never going to be the old lineup. But the best way to move forward is let the new lineup, or not even it's not even really new, but the current lineup be the current lineup, and let those the things that everyone brings to the table that is great. Let those things be the things that fuel the future of the band, and not you know, not just. You know, not, not try to get carbon copies of what was in the past because it's even disrespectful to the past because the past, past was great at what it was. And they they were all being honest to themselves doing it. And with the new, you know, with the current lineup, it has to be the same thing where everybody is honest about the whole thing, you know. So, yeah, that's that's my rant. When you guys are both writing, if something sounds maybe too similar riff-wise or if there's a bass line or something that sounds too similar to something you've done in the past, do you immediately throw it away or is that something you think you try to evolve from previous material? I, I am very guilty of going, that sounds similar. And, <laughs> and, I, and I do try to avoid those things. But then there are certain elements that even if it was as such, it doesn't mean that this, you know, particular song is any less relevant as its past. It's not. It's not carbon copying it. It's just, yes, it is similar. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's unavoidable. Sometimes it is very much avoidable. It just depends on the situation. You know what I mean? That's just my personal opinion on it. Yeah. and it's good. It's good to have that, um, you know, that kind of voice to let you know because, you know, especially. Kyle and I, we wrote so much material together over the years. I mean, most of the 13, what, 11 of the 13 albums were written between Kyle and myself, pretty, I think. So it's like, there's going to be moments where things are going to sound a little similar to something else because it is Kyle and it is me doing it. And we did it back then. So some of those things are inevitable to come up and, when when Chuck does bring up something like that, which is a good thing, you know, we have to decide: is it really um, too similar, or does it like make sense in the context of it? Because just because it's similar doesn't mean that it's necessarily not usable or bad. But sometimes it is. Sometimes, you know, if 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 the song starts coming together and it sounds just like something else, like even the you know even the structure and the riffs that are similar, then of course that's not good because there's no reason to do um to, to repeat an old song or whatever but you know and there is a fine line too where you know it's nice to have a throwback vibe and a current vibe to stuff but you just trying to do it in a way that it's not you know yeah you're not totally ripping yourself off or whatever but i guess if you're gonna rip anybody if you're gonna rip anybody off i guess it's better to rip yourself off and and to be fair is there's and, and this is just my ego talking but it's just fair to say there's a, a probably a thousand bands that have riffs that sound exactly like our some of our riffs so other bands could do it and it's not a problem but I do it as a riff that sounds like us and it's like holy crap it sounds something like that before and other bands will do it and they'll be like oh that's so sick it sounds just like Incan that's great yeah but no but that but that's good to be you know, in our situation, and, and I hope it doesn't sound too egotistical, but it's like, you know, we're one of the creators of our style and we having that has privileges because we can do whatever we want the way we want to do it. And it's always going to be in can. 
So we don't have to follow so much what we did. We just have to follow ourselves as far as I know it's, it's almost sounds like the same thing, but follow ourselves mentally and musically and not have to, you know, try to be like, okay, well, let's try to sound like Incan or whatever as a band. We don't have to, because we're going to sound like it we're, no matter what we do pretty much. Yeah, for sure. Now, one question I do have, I, I can't remember who said this, but I saw where someone said rage gives focus or something along those lines. 13 albums in, Chuck, you've been on quite a few at this point now. Do you guys still feel that anger and rage that you used to back in the day and still helps you drive the music you oh, create? Yeah. <laughs> no no it is going nowhere yeah uh, it's it's a it's a joy you know Uh, it reminds you that you're better than the people you hate (laughs) 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 yeah and uh that fire is the very thing that can be a a leading force to whether it's a, a a more aggressive fast one or even doom you know uh it's like that old catchphrase of when you're starting to riff or something and you look at each other and everybody starts going it's enough it's enough yes you know oh yeah you're pissed it's great yeah every time before you know you know even recording but just i i mostly related to before playing a show it's like i'm very calm and i'm you know i feel prepared for the assault that we're about that's about to take place but i you know right before we play i'm just like thinking to myself, okay, everybody must die right now. You know, it's like, and it's a great feeling to be on stage and just know that you're going to give every piece of your being to just making sure that there's just a big pile of dead bodies on the ground and when the show ends or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's important to have that, um, that focus, you know, and it's another thing. It might sound egotistical or something, but it's really just that fuel you need when you walk on that stage. It's, it's your time to own that stage. You got to own it. And people are coming to pay or paying to go see you own that stage and kick their ass. And that's exactly what we want to do when we're on the stage, you know, and then when we're off the stage, you know, we'll just hang out and, you know, party or chat or whatever with whoever's there you know it's all good i mean uh, i had people in the past literally say like man you look really pissed on stage i'm like yeah i am if because (laughs) the thing is is that uh, this music has always been that this is our outlet yeah you know we're not angry people i mean if if anything we're kind of kind of silly and stuff you know like there was a there was a friend of mine that recently said like oh i heard you guys have like satanic orgies in the back and i'm like if you saw what we were doing backstage you'd laugh because we are not that. yeah and but when we're on it's st- funny yeah but when you're on stage the thing is is that uh i'm not looking at people i'm looking through them I- i'm somewhere else and i know that sounds maybe like silly or cliche or whatever but like i'm not here i'm somewhere else and it's and it rules you know what i mean like i i wouldn't trade that for nothing it's great yeah, yeah it's people great still feeling. think you guys are back there sacrificing goats they don't understand that it's now just a, a metaphor sure. for rebellion well, <laughs> or do we want to pour, do we want to I mean, say and get this rumor out there that you guys actually are <laughs> yes yes oh we, the secrets of the world yeah we, we, we refuse to play unless there's a goat to sacrifice backstage and but not just that there has to be a blood orgy so, it has to with the blood code it can't be if it's the blood of anything else it doesn't man work. that's a crazy writer request 
Always, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's a necessity though. I mean, do you want to it's show like or not? Yeah. If we walk backstage and that's not what it's not what's there. We're, we're like, we're out of here. <laughs> I have a no goat. <laughs> Here's a fun question I do like to ask, but uh, you know, as a longtime incantation fan, I've always wondered how you guys weed out the riffs that you don't think are going to work and keep the ones that you you know will fit on a record. So that's my question. How do you weed out the ones where you're like, this riff sucks, and then you're like, okay, this riff is sick? Again, it's situational. That could be song to song almost. I mean, we've had, yeah. you know, we have scrapped but not scrapped and then replaced riffs into different songs. I don't think that necessarily anything gets completely scrapped. I would say like overhauled. Yeah, that's happened a number of times. But I wouldn't say that we like just cut it away yeah it's not really we have riffs that are left over from stuff and that's it's usually man i there's very rare that there's riffs that are just like oh that just sucks or whatever i mean there there were a few here and there but in general it's mostly like it's mostly yeah just not if the riff is good or bad but does the riff work in the context of wherever we're trying to use it at and if it doesn't yeah, we'll put it aside and, you know, maybe sometime in the near future, a long future, we'll just, you know, pick it up again and be like, okay, and get a little inspired from it. There's not really like, man, there's very few riffs that um, we just didn't like or we're just like, you know, okay, we're Xing that. I mean, there was some stuff that for, uh, for a sect of all divinities that, you know, weren't really, you know, weren't up to snuff or whatever, we, which we had to pull the plug on. But overall, it's, it's usually, usually the riffs go like, like Chuck said, to like kind of like a side area and we just will, you know, pick it up at another time. Cause yeah, it's, it's usually, it usually works some, like for something like a lot of the stuff we did on, what was it? Was it, I don't know if sex still had some of the old songs, that we've had, like we like for since Vanquish the Vengeance, we had a surplus of material on each album. Like uh, you know, almost twenty songs to choose from, which ones we were going to kind of work from for 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 the sect, for dirges, for profane, and maybe even uh, I think sect was the, the last album that we used some of that yeah. material. It, yeah, it's all, yeah. Go ahead. Actually, sect was the last song. Because that material, some of that was done back in, ooh, uh, 2010, I want to say we were, we were writing that. You know, so the song was essentially like 13 years, well, early, in, well, maybe 11 then? I don't know, but yeah, 11, like 11. really started yeah. Um, and it was like kind of out of control because, uh, you know, you forget about it completely, actually. And it was like, oh, and... Yeah, that was the last of it. Um, so this album in particular is all, yeah, it's all fresh, all new. Yeah, there's yeah, there's was, nothing nothing left now. Yeah. We used all of it. <laughs> yeah, this is a, this was this is, the unholy deification was the first album in a while where yeah we went into it beginning to end all songs written just for this album kind of thing. It just it, it just somehow worked out that way. It wasn't really planned we just didn't have a lot of extra stuff i mean i'm sure there's some riffs here and there that got lost in the void or whatever but majority of the um all the stuff we wrote in the last yeah 12 years or something most of that stuff is 
in songs that's at, you know, on one of the albums that we did in the uh, 2010s, I guess we'll say. A couple questions left for you guys. Um, this is kind of a, you know, a cliche question, but looking back on the record, do you both have a favorite moment? Yeah. Um, the song uh, Invocation still, uh, it, it, it resonates with me. I, I love the way that we wrote it. I love the way how it came together. Uh, it was essentially like one particular riff and uh, we didn't know what to do with it. And uh, it was just kind of like we have a, a file sharing program. So the one riff was just kind of hanging there, not doing anything. And just as we were saying before, when you just pull riffs from other spots or whatever, it just kind of plopped in this intro riff. And then Kyle says, well, why don't you three of you start to get to writing? And we pieced that together in like three to five minutes. And it's exactly the way you'll hear it on the album. And it was, it was amazing to work like that because it was the, f the first time that we had actually done something like that since Vanquish and Vengeance. And that song means an awful lot. Like I, I love that tune. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's, that was one of the, it was a great moment to be able to, um, you know, work together, like all of us work together. Like a lot of times when we get together, it might be myself and Kyle or myself and Chuck and Kyle or myself, Luke and Kyle or something, you know, some alteration, but luckily we were able to get together, all four of us together and really, you know, put our heads together and come up with something good. I mean, that's stuff. Th those are moments I, I really enjoy a lot because I love the songwriting process and I love just having the inspiration by other people coming up with stuff and looking at things made from a different way. And it give you know, it gives the song its own personal vibe too, which is really great. I think, um, I think it's arrogant to think that, you know, a song, your song, a song that maybe someone writes most of or something can't be improved by somebody else's input or whatever. So, you know, this was not necessarily that case. It was more just like we all just looked at a couple little pieces that were there and said, okay, let's find a way to put this together that works. And it just, yeah, it has like all, all of our DNA in that song, a hundred percent. Like, it's, it's probably a truly equal written song, which is nice. It's, it's a good thing. And hopefully we can do more of those in the future. Two quick fire questions for you guys. Whoever wants to go first can first one, favorite new death metal band. Omega vortex. I think they're sick as shit. They remind me of like Necrovore, but just like on crack. They're great. Um, it's hard to say. I would, I'd go, I have to go with fossilization. I think they're great. Second one, favorite horror movie. Oh, that's impossible. Yeah, that's impossible, man. I, I mean, I, I, I mean, I essentially like live and breathe that genre. I, all the Fulci's and the Carpenters, Argento's, Luigi Cosi, it, it just goes on into oblivion. I, I have no idea. <laughs> That's fair. I'll give you a pass, Chuck. I'll give okay, you a pass. Like, yeah, it's a, it's a difficult one to go to say because there there are so many great ones, but I'm, I'm just going to go cheesy this time with Chopping Mall. Oh, <laughs> there you go. I haven't heard that one before. I'm here. I, I, <laughs> I asked that a bunch. Yeah, it's, uh, 
kill bots. <laughs> All right. And last one. Nice this day. one's like, yeah, this one's like, <laughs> <laughs> last one. This will be like choosing your favorite kid, but favorite song off the new record. That same one that we wrote together, Invocation. Yeah, that it, it does. It, it's for, it's pro, uh, you know primarily for personal reasons, but uh, yeah, that is the one. Yeah, I can go with that one too because I don't have a favorite. I, I, I'm really happy with the album, and I think, I think all the songs have a uh, a great charm to them. You know, so there's no for me. There's no bad. Um, there's no bad choice in that. Chuck, John, thanks so much for doing this, my friends. The new incantation record, Unholy Deification, is out August 25th. We are getting another incantation record. It's never a bad month, if that's the case. Guys, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having us, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for checking that interview out with the legendary incantation. Can't thank Chuck and John enough for doing this podcast was such a cool time and such an honor to have them on. But now let's jump into the newcomers in Grave Ripper. We are joined by Corey from the band. As always, let's first listen to a clip from their upcoming record, Seasons Dreaming Death. This song is called Into the Grave. Totally. It's, it's nice to be, you know, still repping the hometown and wise blood and everything. So yeah, it's a really special release for us. You released the EP just, uh, not too long ago on wise blood as well. Now you guys are stepping into the first full length, right? So do you have a lot of pressure on you with this first full length or is it just business as usual? Uh, kind of 50, 50, um, radiated got more attention than I ever thought it would. And there were a lot of like cool things said about it. So uh, there was a little bit of, um, uh, I hope this is just as good as radiated, but at the same time I'm writing music that's true to me and the stuff that's genuine. So it's kind of business as usual. Like, you know, at the end of the day, this is like, I'm just writing stuff that I like to play and if other people dig it, that's cool. Um, so more, more business than usual than living up to the hype, I guess. This is kind of a stereotypical question, but for those listening to this that are unfamiliar with Grave Ripper, can you give us kind of the, I guess, to use the same word, the stereotypical rundown of how everything came together and, you know, when it came together and just where we are today? Yeah, totally. So um, I can't get dates down to save my life, but like maybe <laughs> maybe like four years ago, uh, I started a, uh, like a solo studio project. 
that became Grey Ripper. Um, and I've had I've had dudes come in and out, kind of helping me bring it to fruition. Um, and then when we we put out like a, put out an EP called Complete Blinding Darkness, um, like right before I think COVID hit, uh, and then. After that, the lineup changed a little bit. We got uh, Jacob on drums and Keegan on guitar, and we put out Radiated. And then uh, I think that was like 2021. And then 2022, we put the Faster Than the Fucking Devil split out. And then this year, we're putting out Seasons. So uh, yeah, pretty much that's it. Has it felt kind of like a whirlwind, like things have just kind of progressed and happened so quickly? Or you know, has this felt like it's been a long time coming for you uh, a little bit of both um radiated kind of felt like it was happening fast um but this record has felt a lot more like slower and in the moment i guess this is probably an obvious question just because you guys are so close to the wise blood label but you know how did that partnership come together yeah so um i introduced myself to sean via like email um asking him a couple questions on like what I can do as a independent musician to uh, like increase my chances of getting more breakthrough into publications and uh, just, just get out into like, just get some more spotlight on the music. Um, and uh, we kind of went back and forth there for a little bit. And then uh, we met in person at a festival here in Indy and then from there on out, we pretty much just stayed in touch. And then uh, I was at an event and I was talking to Sean and, uh, you know, we had been posting that we were going to be recording new material soon, the material that would become radiated. And uh, Sean said, hey, I'd love to put it out. So we said, OK. Just from my perspective, obviously, I know who Grave Ripper is. I'm in the I'm in the Indianapolis area. I kind of follow Wise Blood and everything. But with this one in particular, has it felt different? I was just talking to my wife about this the other night. Not really. Um, with Radiated, it was cool because it was such a like it was a new experience, and it was like, oh my god, you know, like um, without like being a giddy fanboy, like you know, we've all read Decibel, we've all been to Toilet of Hell, we've all been to No Clean Singing, we've all gone to these metal blurbs and you know metal injection and stuff so to see my stuff on there was really a new thing and it was really like whoa you know um it's you know not a big deal to some and it's not like we you know are rich rock stars now but just to see your face up there along with others you know like i think there was like an iron maiden and a slipknot news thing right next to us and then like we were like on some metal injection thing. It was like wolves in the throne room, comma, grave ripper, comma, the next band. And it's just like, wow, to see your <laughs> name, you know, that was really a trip. Um, so that was cool. But with this one, I don't know. I haven't, I've, I haven't felt that as much, not, and not like it's just the same old same. It's just, I, I don't know if I, it's, I'm, it's like a mental shift or what, you know, people really do seem to be liking it. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's awesome still, but it's not as much of a, oh my gosh, as it was the first time. So you mentioned that there there was a lineup change or lineup changes, um, you know, since the start of the band. Do you feel like you kind of have everything where you want it right now? Yeah, we're, we're a good lineup, you know, um, everybody plays their parts really well. Everybody's really enthusiastic about playing shows when we can make it to them. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think things are, are going really well right now. This is kind of more of a fun question, but this year, man, Wiseblood has kind of put out just kind of killer release after killer release. You know, you had the VHS, the uh, Kriegsgrave, and then last year you had like Mother of Graves, another Grave Ripper record kind of like tying things all together, or kind of rounding things out. There's going to be a few more releases, but, you know, the Grave Ripper record just continuing that steamrolling that Wiseblood has. Have you been impressed with all the releases for the record label this year? Oh, yeah, no question. Um, Sean's one of the hardest working, best um, indie labels in the scene right now. He knows what he's doing. He's a great guy. He has a great head on his shoulders. Um, he's the best label boss ever we've ever had. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's incredible the work he's doing and the artists that he's helping to put bigger attention on. Bloodletter actually just put out a killer record too, um, yeah. a different kind of hell. And I guess this is the perfect time to kind of talk a little bit about this, but the tour with Bloodletter, just a fast, thrashy tour that's going to be coming up in, I think, September, right? Yep. Uh, it starts the second week of September. Yeah, it's going to be a thrash bash, man. We're really, we're really <laughs> excited for it. Now, where all are you guys treading out? Uh, it's basically a circle around Indiana. So okay. uh, I think we start in Indy and then head south. And then uh, it's and then I think, uh, where where is it? It's Kentucky, I think. And then I can't remember. Okay. I don't think we hit Tennessee, a couple Ohio dates, uh, Detroit. And then back, uh, we, we end up in Lafayette on Lafayette, Indiana on a Sunday. So it's about a, it's about a week long tour. Um, we tried to, we tried to finagle a Milwaukee and Chicago date in there also, but a bunch of complications ended up happening. Um, so we weren't able to pull that off. Gotcha. And this is a pretty standard question I ask on the podcast. Cause I always just find it so interesting and fascinating how people get into music and more so on the extreme side of things. And, you know, I'm sure you've been asked this question before, um, but, you know, going back, when did you first fall in love with music? And then how did that gradually progress into uh, gravitating toward the extreme side of things? Uh, yeah, so I don't know what it was, but I mean, ever since I was a kid, it's like, that's just what clicked with me. That's what I wanted to do. Um, my parents were country music fans. So I remember like as a kid seeing like Billy Ray Cyrus and, like and Garth Brooks and just being infatuated with being on stage with a guitar in front of all these people. Um, so, you know, seeing like the Garth Brooks hashtag where the bodies Garth, um, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Your mom's uh, house shout out. Oh yeah. I had to do a shout out. Um, so, uh, the families need closure. Um, <laughs> you know, that was cool. Classic. And I, I mean, you can go back to like pictures of me as a kid and for Christmas, I'm getting like little plastic guitars and microphones and the whole setup and stuff. And I just, I wanted that. And then, uh, my uncle was an eighties metalhead, And so progressively, as I got older, I stumbled into his stuff and he would show me stuff. He took me to my first concert. Um, and then just slowly would get into, you know, heavier and heavier stuff. Um, and eventually just found, uh, you know, Metallica as, you know, a guitar player. I was playing drums for a minute there. I still play drums. Um, found, uh, you know, I'm, I'm rambling at this point, but like, I no, think I was fine. like, I was like in middle school and was like a big Nirvana fan and, uh, heard system of a down and liked all that stuff. So I started kind of drumming along to that and then decided maybe a year or two into high school, I was playing drums in middle school and then, uh, in high school switched over to guitar. And then I fell back in love with Metallica. Like, cause I had already heard them before when I was a little kid through my uncle. Um, 
and yeah, just became infatuated with Metallica and that's Metallica is the only, you know, the, the ultimate gateway metal drug because from there right. on out, it's just, you know, okay, well, what's faster, what's heavier, what's, you know, and then from there on out, it's where I am today. So who was the first extreme band that you said you got into? Uh, probably Metallica, I guess, if you want to count that as extreme. I heard like Ride the Lightning when I was like seven or eight. And then I actually bought a copy of it when I was seven or eight also. So I had a CD of it. I always had like a, a Walkman and, and a CD player and just I always had music around me. And I was always infatuated with bands. And then I got into Danzig really big and I'm still into Danzig really big. Um, and a buddy of mine showed me Behemoth's cover of Until You Call on the Dark. And that's what nice what kind of flipped the switch into like harsher vocals and blast beats and stuff and then got into demigod by behemoth and then just you know got more than the black metal and death metal floodgates were open so i'm not sure how old you are but growing up in indianapolis what do you remember about the indianapolis scene if anything so i'm a I guess I don't know if surrogate's the right word or I'm, I'm an import. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, I'm originally from Lafayette, Indiana, like uh, the factory town next to where Purdue is. So right. not the, not the Purdue Lafayette. Um, but uh, so I'm, I'm originally from Lafayette and I was involved with the metal scene there for a while. And then I moved down to Indianapolis and didn't get involved in the scene for a long time um, until basically the formation of Grave Ripper, maybe a year before the formation of Grave Ripper is when I actually started venturing out into the Indianapolis scene. So what was the Lafayette scene like the town you grew up in? Uh, you know, it actually wasn't bad when we were in high school. Uh, I had my first thrash band and we were doing that. Um, there's a venue there that's still there to this day that we're actually, it's the one we're going to be playing when we wrap the tour up. Oh, sweet. Um, it's a bar. Um, that's where all like the bigger, I guess, quote unquote, bigger acts would play. And I, I mean, it's, they, they, they seem bigger because I'm looking at this maybe like with rose colored glasses or like hindsight's 2020, but like the, the death metal bands in town or the thrash metal bands in town or whatever, there was a bar that everybody would always play. And then I remember like we somehow finagled our way in there when we were like 17 <laughs> and uh when we got when we, we got the show booked and we show up to play and the promoter's like whoa 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 you guys cannot be in here and we're like well we're like the second band tonight and he's like oh he's like okay so here's the deal he's like you guys can be in here when you play but that's it you can't you can't be in here any other time and then we played and everybody loved us and we like played that shit out of that place from there on out but it was, it, was a, it was a cool scene, uh, to answer your question. I rambled a little bit there. Um, it was cool. There was a lot going on, and it was really important in my formative years. I met a lot of people, um, made a lot of connections, uh, met, made a lot of friends that I'm still good friends with today. So Now, fast-forwarding to Grave Ripper, Radiated Remains came out a couple years ago. Obviously, black metal with you know speed and thrash. Mm-hmm. Why was that the perfect... I guess, blend or genre bending that you wanted to pursue with Grave Ripper? Was it just based off your influences or did it kind of just happen naturally, I guess? Uh, so kind of like all the above. So like thrash is always going to be my like foundational genre. And I think it's my favorite genre, but it's the most boring genre at the same time. Um, black is cool. I was always kind of leaning more towards black because I feel like it's a little more artistic than death. Um, given both genres have a very wide range of styles within their parent genre. Um, 
I've always enjoyed black metal. I've always enjoyed thrash metal and I've always enjoyed the combination of the two. Um, but I wanted to do a combination of the two in a different way. Typically when you think like the black thrash thing, uh, you're going to get like, you know, your toxic Holocaust and all those clones, um, and things like that. Um, and I wanted to blend the ratio a little differently. And this is kind of my mantra and slogan almost maybe mission statement with Grave Ripper is like with every article or every interview we've done, I've always made a point to say that my goal with this band is to blend is to come up with a, a unique blend and like stitching of black and thrash in their own way. So that's kind of what it was. Like I've always like when I heard toxic Holocaust for the first time, I freaking loved it. When I heard venom for the first time, I freaking loved it. Uh, you know, like the mayhems and the dissections and the emperors and slayers and all that stuff. Like I wanted to just combine it in its own way. Speaking of toxic Holocaust, Joel from the band mastered radiated remains. Was that kind of surreal? Yeah, that was super surreal. That was another one of those moments too. That was like, oh man, like along with those other things I mentioned, like having someone who, you know, when I first heard toxic Holocaust and this is in, you know, the early 2010s or maybe late 20 whatever's um yeah you know hearing overdose of death for the first time i think that sh that grabbed a lot of people and started a new movement in metal and that kind of like mid 2000s thrash we reawakening that happened um so yeah having someone you like really admired being involved with your release was pretty dope um and like i remember like, you know, how you, you have a Facebook account. Facebook sucks. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You'll get like those memories every now and then. That's like 10 years ago. Here's some <laughs> dumbass shit yeah. you said. Um, there was one where I said like Joel Grind is my hero. And it was like verbatim on the day we were announcing that he was mastering the record. Oh, wow. That's weird. Yeah. And it was just so cool. So looking back on Radiated Remains, it's now two years or so since its release. How do you look back on that entire process and the EP itself. Man, I love it. Like it, it's, I really love EPs because EPs are, they're so quick and to the point it leaves you wanting more. And I think it's so much better to be lit, like left wanting more than to be like, this is too much. I'm getting bored and tired. And EPs are a perfect platform for that. I think we showed a good variety of what we bring to the table with each track on that album. Each track is distinct, um, but I'm definitely ready. I'm tired of saying Radiated Remains, and I'm definitely ready to kind of bury it with this new record. I guess two words used to describe Seasons Dreaming Death in comparison to Radiated Remains is refined expansion. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of give us a rundown of what you meant by that and how this one has progressed from radiated remains or your sound has progressed from radiated remains. If I'm sure there's like evolution. And I know that like a lot of bands say, you know, we're better or this record's better. And, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the boxed in answer. But when you say refined expansion, what do you mean by that? So I think what we really did was we doubled down on the parts that we knew worked for us. Like um, we know that we get a lot of, the Teutonic thrash comparisons. And we love that style. I love that style. Um, that really death thrash kind of creator Sodom, even like Slayery kind of, uh, kind of thrash metal. Um, the early 
I mean, this isn't Teutonic, but the early like Florida, you know, the first death record and like stuff like that's really like a big thrash influence on me. Um, so we wanted to double down on what we knew worked and what we were good at, but then at the same time be like, we didn't get the opportunity to do this sound on radiated. We didn't get the opportunity to really show that we can write some really straightforward, hateful black. We didn't, we didn't do an immortal riff on radiated, but we all love immortal. Let's put, let's put an, an, an immortal riff or two on this one. Um, you know, like let's, let's really do like, Oh, let's do a, a mayhem freezing moon homage right here. Kind of sort of thing. Or like, you know, um, let's put some more death metal in there. Like let's, so, so things like that. So really focus on what we know we're good at. And then a moment or two of, Hey, we didn't get this opportunity before. Let's do it now and let's double down on it and let's make sure it, it slaps. I sent into the grave to all of my buddies when that came out. And I have this one buddy who's just a, a huge thrash head. Mm-hmm. And he's like, dude, you have to let me know when they come out with merch. Cause he was like, <laughs> he loves the album art too. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, yeah, he's mm-hmm. a huge thrash head. And he would like, dude, when I asked you earlier, I was like, does it feel like, you know, things are really picking up? Because just from my perspective, like, you know, just the, you know, the views and you know the social media comments and everything like it does feel like you guys are picking up steam this is what like i see and i'm i guess if i have to phrase it as a question are you feeling that more people are putting eyes on you not yet but i hope um it's it's kind of weird because yeah like you just said i think you said it it i think you kind of you you like um gave the answer i would have given is that we're on opposite sides of the fence you know right you're seeing it from your side and I'm seeing it from mine. So once we get like, if, if like, if we get, if we get like a big tour offer or something, then I'll be like, okay, we, we, we accomplished something with this record. Not saying yeah. we're out to accomplish anything besides make a good metal album that we all enjoy. Right. But that's, that's when that moment might hit for me. I do want to dive into, I guess, an interesting question, but when you are writing music, obviously if it thrash and black metal, like, or I guess we call it black and thrash or thrash and roll or yeah. whatever you want to throw it into. Whatever but it is. Yeah, whatever you want to throw it into. But I asked this question to a few different bands and I think it's kind of funny, but and I asked it to Bloodletter actually. How do you know when a riff sucks and when to throw it out and when to keep it? You'll feel it. Yeah. It's, it's easy as that. Like sometimes you'll have one that you try to beat into fruition and it's like... You'll, you'll try it a few times and it just doesn't work. You go to it, you know, like you'll feel it. It's easy as that. When you're looking at the lineup for, you know, Radiated Remains, what did this lineup do differently to help create Season Streaming Death? Um, Was there anything that was brought new to the table? Yeah, there was a little more collaboration uh, between Keegan and I on this record. I wrote everything on Radiated. Um so that that entire record is me. Um, Keegan wrote, I think, two tracks, maybe three tracks total. We ended up axing one of them. I had a few tracks that got axed also that didn't make the release. Um, and then Keegan and I co-wrote a song on the album. Uh, Keegan had a riff that I really, really loved. And he was like, I don't know what to do with this. So he gave it to me. And then I you know, molded two or three riffs around it gave it back to him and he loved him and he arranged it. And it's probably my favorite song on the record because you get that both of us back and forth. So there's going to be some, some new 
textures on the record due to his collaboration now. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest new things. Um, but yeah. So what's no. it going to be like to, you know, hold that first piece of vinyl or like those old school physical copies of your music? Uh, yeah, that moment I'm really looking forward to when we put out the faster split. Um, that was, that was pretty dope to be able to hold, you know, a record, a vinyl, a 12 inch, an LP with my own songs on it was pretty awesome. That was a, that was like a bucket list thing for me. Um, I'm really, I'm looking forward to seasons more though, because it's not a split. It's all it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. And it's some of those vinyl variants, man, the red splatter and the yep. coagulated blood mix. Those yep. are, those are sick. Yeah. yeah I mean, the, the artwork's going to really boom on those. I think so too. Adam Burke uh, is a legend and um, we're really glad we got him to go with that. I think they're, they're still moving, man. Like those uh, were, I think those red splatters are going to be sold out before the record even drops. Yeah. That one's uh, edition of how many is that one? A hundred. And then the other one is 200, I think. So yeah, yep. you got it right. Yep. And, and obviously there's, cassettes. Yeah, the and cassettes they're about, and everything. Cassette, they're, or, they're about a quarter of the way, I think, sold too. So, Corey, like I said, just a few fun questions left. I know you don't want to give too much away uh, for the new record. You want people to be able to you know, be surprised and come up with their own meanings and everything with the lyrics. So we'll dive into Let's do a little it. bit more of uh, broad questions. But top three favorite horror movies. Top three horror flicks of all time. Oh, let's see. Probably... Uh, the OG Halloween. I remember watching that one growing up a lot when I was a kid, and I still watch it to this day. Uh, I hate questions like this because I always freeze. <laughs> um, like to put you on top, the spot. Yeah, you're good. You definitely are. Top three horror. I don't know if you consider Alien a horror flick. I think Alien is sure, a horror yeah. flick, and I think yeah. Terminator is kind of in that same vein. Uh, so I'm going to say those three. I'm probably going to look back at this and be like, oh, I love these other movies also. And this uh, one you're going to hate even worse. Top three favorite then, thrash metal records. Uh, top three thrash metal records are probably well. Let's see. Let's let's ask this differently. Are you asking me what are the best three thrash metals of all time? Just or your favorite. favorite three? Your okay, favorite. so my my favorite thrash metal records of all time are probably uh, Metallica's Kill 'Em All, Slayer's Rain and Blood, and probably uh, probably Come of Souls. Anyway, man, I guess uh, I asked the horror movies thing, but do you take any influence from anything outside of music when you're writing records? Uh, yeah, totally. Anywhere and everywhere. There's no like, there's no, I'm going to pick inspiration from here. Gotcha. It just hits. And when it hits, it hits. Now, you don't have to give too much away, but looking back on Seasons Dreaming Death, what's your favorite moment? Uh, that's a good question, man. All of it. The whole thing. Welcome back and hope you enjoyed both of those interviews, the first with the legendary Incantation and the second with Grave Ripper. Both of their albums drop August 25th, so be sure to pick both of those records up on whatever format you enjoy listening to music the most. But before we go, friends, I do want to give my recommendation of the week, and the recommendation this week will be the song The Witch Doctor, from the band Algol's new record, Night Eternal. This is a black metal band, a one-man black metal band out of Portland, Maine. Cannot recommend this enough. 
obviously that is why it is my recommendation of the week but let's go ahead and play the song in full and make sure you support this artist if you enjoy the track and be sure to check out the album in its entirety obviously
Again, that was Al Gall with The Witch Doctor off of the album Night Eternal. If you dig that track and you dig the record, make sure you support Al Gall. You can find the records merch on Bandcamp. Before we go, friends, want to remind everyone to follow me on the social media channels I gave you at the top of the episode. And if you do dig the show, leave a five-star review wherever you listen. That helps me out tremendously. And also, feel free to subscribe or follow the show, again, wherever you listen. That way you get the episodes right when they drop every Friday morning. But until next time, we'll see you right here in the catacombs.